So we're in Psalm 121 here this morning. We are uh, almost done with this series looking up the Psalms of the Ascents. We, uh, every year we pick a couple of these in the lead up to Easter and we'll study them. These were the songs that the Israelites sang as they're traveling back uh, to Jerusalem for various um, festivals, Passover, things along, that na- along those nature. Uh, these would have been the very songs that they would have been singing at this time uh, as they were heading to Jerusalem when Jesus ultimately would die for the cross. And they're called Psalms of the Ascents because of the elevation. Jerusalem is up uh, in a very mountainous area. Uh, and so when you're traveling up to uh, Jerusalem, then you sing these songs going up. Sometimes the Bible is very practical, you know, and straightforward. There's, no, uh, there's nothing uh, crazy to it. Uh, we were great theologians and people who loved God writing in the Bible. It didn't mean that they were always the most creative, like what's a major and minor prophet, how much they wrote. That's the difference. Uh, so, or that we have. That's, that's, really, that's really what it is. Sometimes it's simple. So that being said, we've been going through this, and these psalms, these songs, just like for the Israelites, for us, we want them to be songs of preparation. Preparation for what God is going to do in us and continue to do through us as we pursue him. And so Psalm 121, one of my favorite psalms, one of the first or earliest psalms that I remember learning when I was a little kid. If you got it in your Bible, uh, then it simply says this. If not, it's on the screen. It says, I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth. And forevermore. God, we just thank you once again for time spent in your word. (coughs) We ask that you would give us understanding and help us to uh, ultimately help us to to be still and to be attentive. And Lord, we want to be effective witnesses of your truth. And we can only do that by being rooted in your word. And so uh, let that mentality inform how we approach the next few moments. Lord, we love you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys. Um, You know, it's interesting. Whenever I think about um, the presence of God and how it is everywhere, it reminds me of when I was a high school, uh, a high schooler, and in particular my senior year of prom, my senior year of high school where I, when I went to prom. Now, I didn't want to go to prom, uh, but I decided at the last minute that I was going to go to prom, and uh, I had a, a date. She was one of my good friends in high school, Katie Nelson. There you go. She was a year younger than me, but like, hey, let's go to prom. Let's hang out. This wasn't like an I like you thing or anything like that. This is a strictly platonic, two friends hanging out. Uh, and I remember I wanted to do my own thing, but then my best friend in high school, he liked this girl, and she was going with her friends, and he's like, come on, man, let's, let's jump in on the limo game and all that kind of stuff. And I, I remember um, going to Katie's house, and her mom was going to drive us and drop us off 
um, uh, at this house that we're all meeting at. And we get there, and as soon as we walk into the house, you know, everybody was getting ready and celebrating. Now, there was a song that was really popular at that time. I did not like it at all, um, at all, at all. And now that I think about who wrote it, um, uh, maybe they've been canceled for good reason. But anyway, Ignition was on, uh, you know, I put my keys in Ignition, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, like, that song's playing. And uh, I remember hating that song and like, ugh, there it goes. Um, and, and so everyone's dancing. And I was like, let's get to the next song. Maybe Slim Shady was next. I don't really remember. But uh, the point is, is that they play the song. We're like, the limo's here, let's go. We get to the limo and the driver turns on the radio or whatever he's playing and as soon as he plays, ignition comes on. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I hate this song. Uh, we get to the restaurant that was terrible, absolutely disgusting in the gallery area and I don't remember the name of it and I know it's shut down it was that good. Uh, so the point is, is that we get back into the car and ignition is playing in the limo again. And I was like, Lord, help me, please. Uh, we get to prom, and as we're walking through the door, boom, boom, -da 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 beep. I was like, ah, I hate the song Ignition. They played it like four times during the dance. We go back to the limo again. Ignition is playing in the limo when we get there again. Uh, we get to... Uh, 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 the house and then we're driving um, out to this after party that's up in like the Conroe area uh, and as soon as we get to the party Ignition is playing there again. I remember being miserable as it was playing yet again for like the 30th time that night and, and then you know like me and Katie needed a ride back to her parents' house, and so uh, there was a group of people leaving the party at like 4 a.m. or whatever it was, and so we're like, let's take a ride, and sure enough, yet again in that doggone limo ride back, Ignition was playing in the car again. My high school prom night was defined by the song Ignition, uh, and it was everywhere. It was absolutely, there was nowhere that I could go that I could escape from that song. And just to uh, close out the story, you're like, so uh, what time did you get home? 6 a.m. My mom was very clear, and she's in the room. She said, uh, doesn't really matter when you get home, just know you're going to church in the morning. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And so I tested that, and I walked in the door at 6 a.m. And typically my mom woke us up for church at 7 a.m. And I slept for all of like 45 minutes before my mom was like, nope, pop, 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 let's go. You had fun last night. I hope you did. You're going to get this word. Oh, and you're staying awake during church too. So uh, I remember going to youth group and pretty sure I, I, I don't remember anything that happened that day. It was one big fog, but I was awake during church, uh, sort of. I, my eyes were open. My mind was gone. Uh, but I went to church that day. That being said, that song was everywhere. And it's interesting because when we talk about the presence of God, it's important for us to know that he is everywhere. And if there's one thing that I think this psalm sums up for us is this, is that God is always present. God is always present. No matter where we are, no matter where we go, no matter how far we may try to run, uh, he is always with us. He is there. There's not a struggle that you can go through where the presence of the Lord is not with you. And so ultimately, it's important for us to understand that if there's anything else, that God is always presence, present. And his presence in every aspect of our life ought to give us comfort. Because ultimately, you're all going to have to go through times where you have to call on the Lord. But I need you to understand, when you call on the Lord, that's from your perspective. 
But he's already there. He's already there. And because he is present everywhere, because he goes with us, that's going to show us just a couple of quick things here in the word today. The first is this. When we call on the Lord, first of all, his greatness brings us security. When we call on the Lord, his greatness brings us security. The opening line of this psalm is, one, is, is an infamous, infamous line. I lift up my eyes to the hills from where is my help to come. My help comes from the Lord who makes heaven and earth. Where is my help going to come from? It comes from the Lord. In this, the, the psalmist is, uh, is going up, the nation is walking up, and they're saying, I lift up my eyes to the hills. I'm looking up. I'm searching for help. Anybody who's ever seen a kid fall and hurt themselves, they don't just stare at the ground. They immediately begin to look up. Uh, where, 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 where is my help? Where is my comfort going to come from? And it comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Literally, the comfort for us and the security that exists for us is one that's rooted in the resume of God. That literally he made heaven and earth. Or he made the heavens and the earth. Everything that we look and see, when we take a gaze at the world around us, when we stare at the landscape, when we stare at the scenery, when we look up into the skies and contemplate what is going on, when we think about all of the planets and galaxies and uh, uh, random things, comets and asteroids that are just floating around in space, all of that is supposed to lead us to a place of comfort because it is the resume of God on display. Considering the universe and the creation story, it gives us an assurance of our future. And it's interesting, he's like, where is my help to come? My help comes from the Lord. I don't know how this situation is supposed to work out, but thanks be to God, my lack of creativity in seeing the end isn't like the, the, the point. My lack of creativity is strengthened when I consider that the infinite God who created the universe is the one that I'm turning to for help. If God could literally turn, create everything out of nothing, then what is my problems in light of him? It's the reason why we just talked about this before the sermon. We pass bubbles because only God can take something like bubbles and turn that into life change in people's lives. Only God can take things. This is from our church, but I, I, I follow Austin Hooper who, who, taught, who helped train us this past uh, fall on kindness things. Only God can do things like standing in Weatherford, Texas on a corner with Dr. Peppers and turn that into people uh, being saved. Only God can take things like going to a disgusting gas station bathroom like they do at their church and cleaning out gas station bathrooms. And turn that into life change because he's infinitely creative. The stars, the planets, the galaxies, the universe, the laws of thermodynamics and gravity and all those things. The same God who created all of those things is the one that we turn to. And so uh, there is uh, a truth or, or uh, uh, assurance that comes from knowing where your help 
is. The God of Israel is the God who created everything, and he's not the God that we created. I think that's huge in light of the nation of Israel and the exile that they find themselves in when they're singing this song. The nations that they are exiled to have gods that they created, but they serve the God who created everything. So it's not just where your help comes from, but there's certainty in that. My help comes from the Lord. My help comes from the Lord. In that statement, you see several things. My help has come in the past. It is coming right now. And it will continue to come in the future. You know, like, if you ever have somebody that you go to for, you see this all the time on social media, like, somebody will put on, like, hey, in need of a good mechanic, and somebody says, my mechanic is, my mechanic has helped me in the past. He, currently, if I need to holler at him, he's going to help me. And in the future, when I have uh, things coming in the future, this will be who I go to. And he will come through because he's come through for me before. I know that I can trust him now and I can trust him in the future as well. And I'm telling you because I've tasted and seen and there's a certainty to the help that this guy gives. And so he says, my help comes from the Lord. It is coming. Even in exile, they understand that the help of the Lord is coming and that he is working all things out for their good. So the first thing when we call on the Lord is his greatness brings us security. The second thing is that we know he's attentively watching. We know that he's attentively watching. And interestingly enough, uh, previously I worked as a youth and worship pastor for Woolcrest Baptist Church. And every year they would have a men's retreat and women's retreat. Uh, the men's retreat, you know, um, I, I always advocated for something different uh, because the men will go off into the woods and just rough it out. And then the girls, their retreat is like at a resort. I'm like, mm, I like to be nice. I like nice things. Why can't I have good bed sheets? Why do I have to have a bad back with this rinky dink uh, bunk bed uh, uh, tearing me up? You know, like, why, why are we doing this? Let's let's get the resort. But the women, they would go to a resort. And interestingly enough, uh, there would always be this moment where all the men would realize in the church, like, oh, we got to raise all these kids by ourselves for the weekend. That's trash. And so uh, <laughs> they would, uh, there, there was a guy, uh, Mike Holmquist, who would always organize this thing at his house. And he'd be like, all the fathers on Saturday night come to my house. We're grilling hamburgers and hot dogs. We're making things work. It's going to be great. And guys would come. Now, at this point, I didn't have kids when this first started. And I found it interesting to notice that there was a difference in the way a lot of fathers operated. Uh, if I'm going to be really honest, a lot of dads just, you know, I think Kevin Hart talks about this. They just listen for sounds. Like, there's a game on, and if I hear something like crying, and it sounds like bad crying, then I'll be like, hey, what's going on? And it was interesting, because like, all these dads would get around, and I'm not going to lie, uh, most of us were not attentively watching our kids do anything. But one of the things that was most, well, this is crazy, one of the things that was most impressionable on me before I ever had my own kids was in a sea of guys who weren't paying attention, there was one guy in the room 
that even though he came with like his handful of kids, like whatever they were doing, like he was into it. And would much rather not watch the game and make sure that his kids were okay because he was just paying attention. And I remember sitting next to him one day at one, at one of these things where, you know, some kid got hurt and is crying. Uh, and maybe there should have been some more attention being paid to the kids and what they were doing. And this, guy, this father looks at me and he just says, it doesn't matter how much fun you want to have, you always have to make sure that they're okay. In this chaotic environment, like you got to pay attention to what your kids are doing. And it, I think it impressed upon me what we see here in these next couple of verses, that God is not a distant God that throws us into the chaos of this world and then just steps back and moves away. He is a God that is intimately involved and attentively watching his children. Look what it says in verses 3 and 4. It says, He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. He's awake. And he's not just awake. He's paying attention. He's attentive. He won't let you slip. He's not going to go to sleep. The only way that you can offer the assurance that I'm not going to let you slip isn't just that you're like paying attention, but you're actually near. Like the promise that we have in him as we walk and the promise that the nation had as they walked through exile and came back to worship was that God was attentively watching everything that was going on with the nation and he would not let them slip. He would not let them falter. He wasn't just off in the distance. He didn't need to be woken up. He was present, near, awake, attentive, and ready. And I think there's some interesting contrasts. You see the way that God is contrast himself with the showdown with the prophets of Baal with Elijah. They put their God to the test, or Elijah puts the, their God out to the test. And the people are sacrificing and they're whipping themselves and crying out. And, and Elijah comes in and one of the most savage burns in Bible is just like, mm, maybe you should just be a little louder. Maybe, maybe Baal's asleep, you know, like a, he's, a little, he, he's a hard sleeper, isn't he? You know, yeah, he, he one of them snoring people, isn't he? You know, and so he just starts, you know, taunting them, taunting them, taunting them. But our God's not asleep. It's in the same way that you see uh, in the New Testament, the disciples who could not stay awake in the garden. They had a desire to be with Jesus and yet could not stay awake. That's not the God that we serve. He doesn't just have a desire. He is awake. He is present. He is here. He is paying attention. And he is ultimately uh, guiding our steps and nurturing us along the way. From cancer to unemployment to pandemics, God is here. He is near. And when you put your faith and trust in him, he will not let your foot be moved. 
God's faithfulness to you is not dependent upon your belief in him because even when your faith falters, he's present and there. I mentioned Elijah. Never forget that after Elijah shows up the prophets of Baal, what's her, what's her name? Jezebel. Jezebel, thank you. Jezebel orders all the prophets of Israel to be murdered. He's on the run, finds himself off in the wilderness. And in that moment where he's like having this like doubt, God says, worship me when my presence comes. There's the big storms and all these kind of things. And there was not, that's not where his presence was. And then it, there's a gentle whisper of the wind. And that's where the presence of the Lord comes. And that's where God reminds him, there's a remnant of people that you can't see that are being faithful to me. And because of them, I am doing a work here. I will remember my promise. Even when Elijah doubted after this huge mountaintop experience and he began to slip just a little bit, he will not let your foot be moved. He is not asleep. So we know he's attentively watching. The third thing is this. We're going to move uh, quickly. When we call on the Lord, thirdly, he brings us under his wing. He brings us under his wing. In verses 5 and 6, we see the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. I think we see this incredible encouragement from God in this. It's the you've got to go through me mentality. I don't know if you've ever uh, seen that. Sometimes it's referenced in movies. Sometimes it happens in real life. But basically, somebody's being bullied. Somebody stands up. If you want to mess with this person, you got to go through me. And then everybody backs off. And in this, we have a God that has said that well, he puts us under our wing. And in order for anybody to get at you, they've got to go through him. It doesn't mean that there aren't enemies in pursuit. It just means that they have to go through God if they're going to put their hands on you. And that ought to give you comfort. The Lord is your keeper. God is, the, is an incredible steward of your life, better than you would be on your own. When you put your faith in him and you trust him, God is the steward of your life. God is your shade. He regulates what gets through. Even when there's a storm, you won't be overtaken. Shade doesn't mean that there is no sunlight. Shade just means you have comfort from the heat that's being put out. Anybody who's ever done work outside in the summer of Houston knows how important shade is. I, at our last house, it was pretty amazing. You know, our front yard, whew, it was big. I mean, we had like this 
we're 1,700 square foot house, but it was like an 8,000 square foot lot. So most of our house was just grass. Uh, and I would cut the grass and I go to the front side and I'm doing stuff. And the front, I hated. I hated, I hated, I hated, I hated. Cause it just was what it was. Had some awkward little dips in it and things like that from where there used to be a tree. Um, and uh, it was what it was. We had these ugly bamboo things on the front and I just wanted to rip them out, but we were renters and I couldn't and they're aggressive and the wasps really love, cause they were right up against the house, really love to put their nest back there. So I typically, whenever I, you know, every two or three cuts of the grass had to come with all the wasp spray and just be ready. Uh, and then I also have like an allergic reaction to the bamboo stuff, like the leaves. So I'll get like hivey on my arms. It was terrible, I hated that. But the backyard was glorious. Cause not only was the backyard uh, like big and wide and generally open, is that there were these giant oak trees. Now here's the important part, not on our property, but the majority of which hung over our backyard. So anytime I cut, I would always cut the front yard first. Then I go to the back because the back was shaded. Oh, it was glorious. You don't know what it's like to cut grass at, you know, just because of the way schedule work out sometimes, especially when we're having city group, like on a Wednesday, I was like, uh, I got to cut this grass uh, before people come over to start in the front. And at two o'clock in the afternoon, during the height of the heat of the day to cut the backyard completely shaded. And here's the blessing of it. Uh, the trees were not in my yard. I got all of the benefit and none of the upkeep. And ain't that like the Lord? He bears the responsibility of the tree. But what we receive is the benefit and the blessing of him being our keeper and the shade. He's telling you to come. You find rest in him and he will ultimately cover you. God is then our buffer. Whether in light or in darkness, wherever we're going, God is the buffer. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. It doesn't matter. It cracks me up when I, I was... I was uh, uh, preparing for this sermon. I, kept, I couldn't help but just come back to The Dark Knight Rises, uh, which, although a lot of people struggled with this movie. One, The Dark Knight trilogy is like one of the greatest trilogies ever made. And The Dark Knight Rises um, with Bane is one of my best. And there's this incredible quote between, from Bane um, that uh, he's fighting Batman in the middle of the movie, and Batman gets owned and the incredible backbreaker is done on him, and then Bane goes through his sequence of blowing up the bridges in the city and all that kind of stuff, and you kind of realize, like, what, what has this whole movie been building up towards? But there's this moment where he's fighting Batman, and Batman's been out of the game for, like, eight years or whatever. He's, you know, he's getting a little, little, he's a little slow, you know? He's not as strong and quick as he used to be, and he's fighting Bane, and all of the League of Shadows is standing around and none of them join in the fight. It's just, they're just watching. Which I love the confidence, by the way. They're like, uh, our leader, if he gets whooped, I guess he gets whooped. But our confidence in him is that he's going to take Batman out. And they're fighting and he keeps trying to use his tricks. And none of Batman's tricks work. 
and they're fighting in the sewer, and there's this moment where he takes out a device, and he, th and he knocks out the lights. And I remember being in the movie like, oh, yeah, here we go. And then Baines has like one of the most terrifying quotes in the history of, you know, like, uh-oh, maybe our superhero is in trouble here. Uh, and I'm not going to do the voice, the Bane voice, although I'm very tempted to because it's very hard not to. Batman turns out the lights and he says, oh, you think darkness is your ally. But you merely adopted the dark. I was born in it, molded by it. I didn't see the light until I was already a man. By then, it was nothing to me but blinding. And then he snatches Batman's out of the dark and proceeds to break his mask and knock the mess out of him. And I was like, oh! I was in theater. I was like, oh my gosh! Like you, the, the, and I loved it because the amount of dread that you felt in the, in the theater when he, he, Batman knocks out the lights. You're like, all right, here we go. Does he have an advantage? And then Bane's just like, oh, you think that darkness is your ally? <laughs> And then he proceeds to beat him up. It's amazing. I have gone back and watched that scene over and over and over and over again. And while I'm not an advocate for, for villains, I need us to understand this, that even darkness is defined by its absence of the light. Like, The sun can't strike you by day, nor the moon by night. There is literally no season of life that you can go through or be in where the presence of God is not greater than that which comes against you. And, and, and so, like, God is our buffer. He protects us. He guides us. Not just on the mountaintop experiences, but there's literally nothing that we could be going through. No valley so low, no pit so dark that the light and presence of God is not with us. This is why we can see people like Stephen in the New Testament while being stoned, praying blessings over the people killing him. This is why we can see the persecution of that first century church. As history shows or as tradition shows, people like Peter, oh, just crucify me upside down because I'm not worthy to die the way that Jesus died. This is why we can see Paul say to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is why we can see John with a message of hope when he writes the book of Revelation to the churches of Asia Minor with encouragement. I know they killed all of our leaders and they locked up all of your stars and I'm one of all that's left, but there's a message of hope in the midst of this darkness. I mean, these are our stories. And a, a quick survey of church history will show us People in the face of darkness being filled with light and hope. It's why Wycliffe and Zwingli continued to translate the Bible into the common tongue. And we have Baptist roots. It's why our, our early Baptist uh, 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 forefathers were willing to be ironically drowned in order to fight for the right for people to be baptized via immersion. 
Like, there's always been light in darkness. And that's why our brothers and sisters, we talked about this uh, uh, last year in Afghanistan as the country was shutting down, were celebrating the opportunity that they had to share the gospel in a Taliban-run country and went from uh, a church of just a few hundred to thousands because in the few weeks as the country was shutting down, the people were ripe to hear a message of hope. You follow the underground church in Afghanistan, they have exploded since the country shut down. Nor the moon by night. There's no darkness that can overcome us when we're putting our hope in him. But lastly is this. When we call on the Lord, he guides our every step. Really quickly, looking at this last one, last couple verses. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. He keeps you. And God ultimately keeps us sometimes from even our own missteps. He keeps you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep you going. You're going out and then you're coming in. The way that he holds us, his jurisdiction is unrestricted. And are coming out and are going in right now and forevermore. He has jurisdiction everywhere in the past, the present, the future, whether you're coming or going, whether you're chasing after him, you know, with faithfulness or running away. He's got jurisdiction over your life. And so that leads us to our whole point is that God is always present. And the question is, do you trust God then? Do you trust God, not with just your life, but with everything that you are and everything that you will be and everything that you will do? Do you trust God? If you're in exile, metaphorically, in your life, do you trust God? If you're on the mountaintop, do you trust God? Because trust for God is the foundation for everything that we will do moving forward. You either have it or you don't. My prayer for us is that, and what would be true, is that we have it. So let's pray.